1: On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you can find his work. Uh, Our friend Tony East, Locked On Pacers, at SI Pacers, at Forbes Sports, at WTHR. If it's about the Pacers, he writes about it. And granted, Tony, I know that it's early in the season, but I don't care what month, what day, what hour it is. A performance like yesterday that was so embarrassing, completely unacceptable. Do not care what time of year it falls.
0: Absolutely. I mean, especially given the team that they have talked about wanting to be. They want to make the playoffs. They want to be playing after the regular season ends in some capacity. And they sure look like a team that could do that in their first 11 games. But if they want to be that level of team that they've talked about being and that they have shown they can be, you you, you can't get blown out by 40 on your home court. I don't care what the final score was. They, they were down 40 almost in the first half. Like, you cannot have games like that at all. I know the league's good, and every team is... Tough outside of maybe three or four, but the Magic are supposed to be like in their tier of ascending talent. They cannot have performances like that against a team like that.
1: What was the uh, conversation in the locker room afterwards, too, regarding that? Because th- this is the second blip on the radar in the last three weeks or so here.
0: Yeah, they were really frustrated with themselves, the long layoff leading up to the game. Like, I think there was some thought that they'd just come in and keep it rolling from Tuesday and be ready to go. Um, no one, Nobody really liked the performance that, that the team had after the game. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Rick Carlisle made that you know, very clear, didn't have enough energy from the jump. They couldn't adjust to the Magic size. And, you know, for all the things that I thought went wrong with the Magic being the first team to really give Tyrese Halliburton trouble this season, Rick Carlisle said, ah, no, it's not about the offense, it's about the defense. And I think he's right to point that out because the Magic do not have a good offense. It was 26th in the league in offensive rating entering the game. And they scored 78 in the first half. They were unstoppable. They had over 40 points in the first quarter. The Pacers couldn't stop fouling them because they were getting beat everywhere, all over the floor. So I think, tonally, the Pacers kind of, you know, riding off a high from their last three games with two really impressive wins had this nice gap. They were just not at all ready to play. and They were kind of embarrassed by the defense they played. It was atrocious.
1: But really, it's not like the offense was any better early either. They, they just simply put, Tony, they uh, were not prepared to come out and play on either end.
0: No, no. I mean, the Magic have the best defense in the league, right? But Halliburton, that hasn't mattered. Philadelphia had a top five defense when the Pacers went there. They could score easily against those guys. So I understand they're big. I think they're a tough matchup for the Pacers. But that's, even if they're a tough matchup, it's not an excuse for how much trouble they had scoring in that first half. With forty, what They had 44, 42 at halftime. The Magic had 42 after one quarter, right? And they, they looked so out of it and lethargic and – they were taking, like, like not the shots that it feels like they usually go for, whether that was because they didn't feel like they could get the shots they normally get or because of some of the magic we're doing. I don't know. But no one outside of Bruce Brown, Bruce Brown was making some nice plays and attacking the, the basket. I mean, nobody had it on offense in the first half. They had no energy. They couldn't keep it moving. I mean, Rick Carlisle called two timeouts, and it was, what, 11-0? to zero? Like, they, they couldn't do anything early.
1: So, Tony East talking pacers with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And Rick Carlisle did mention at the outset it wasn't about the offense, it was about the defense. And what and I've said this to you before, what concerns me about this group is exactly how much better they can get defensively. Now, granted, to look better than that wouldn't seem like it would take very much because they were embarrassed and outclassed from the jump. But consistently better, which I think is what we're all, Tony, looking for on this, I don't know where it might be within this team. Like, I can't tell you if I look at the roster and go, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be – and I mean, Halliburton down. This guy's going to be a better defensive player. I don't know where they're going to find it with this group.
0: Yeah, they have, like – like, the problem is, to me, their best – Dustin Dopierak from the Stars has been all over this this season. Like, their best defensive five guys is not a group that can score that well. And their best offensive five guys – can't defend at all right so they have to mix and match to be a good capable competent team all the time which is fine a lot of teams have to decide on those trade-offs all the time but that means you know when they're playing for example the best offense that they can they're going to have one two maybe three weak links on defense out there and when they're playing the best defense they can they're going to have trouble scoring and really last night you saw that fully exposed right like, to magic with their big size could just go, Oh, we got a mismatch right here. This guy's not a good defender. Let's throw it in there. And they drop foul. Oh, they got another one over here. Like it, it was easy for them to score. And so the, the Pacers can add more talent, but it's hard to get to balance the lineups in that way. They kind of need, if, if, if they can't develop the guys on the defensive end to the extent that they have tried to so far, they really need, to have some more two-way guys in the mix to avoid having to deal with that problem because you really saw last night what kind of limitations it can have for a team.
1: Yeah. Granted, and I thought when I was watching the broadcast, Quinn had mentioned you have a long layoff, and that you know messes with you. That has an effect, and there's no doubt. But there was no excuses for that. I mean, that wasn't about the layoff and effect. That was just about a team that again wasn't wasn't ready to play. Did they have any answers as to why it seemed that they weren't ready to go out there and give it the effort that you had a packed house for the first time on a Sunday when the Colts weren't playing? I mean, you had this window all to yourself, and then you go out there and look like garbage. That's Problematic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't really know that they had, like Rick Carlisle, you know, he says this a lot when they have games like that. He said it was on him, did not, didn't have them prepared, ready to go. All the players will, of course, deflect that and say, no, it's on us. We weren't ready to go. But, you know, it's funny, like when they went down, what was 11 to nothing, right? And I thought, okay, maybe this is just like Russ from the slow start. But they never recovered from it ever. They tried every answer. Jordan Wara played in the first half, Ben Shepard played in the first half. Jarvis Walker
1: played. TJ McConnell was in early because they didn't yeah, have the he, energy? Yes.
0: Way earlier. McConnell yeah. was in after, what, four minutes? Like, they, they had to try these answers because nobody had it. And McConnell was, like, playing hard. Like, all the bench guys were doing what they normally do. That group, group's been good. But that still wasn't even close to enough for the level that they needed. The magic just came in and were better. So they didn't really have, like, a – a mental reason or like a, like, you know, the long layoff reason. And you can't even use the layoff as an excuse when you're down 40 at on your home floor, almost at halftime, right? Like you just flat out didn't have it and whatever reason they want to give it, it shouldn't happen. It's embarrassing. I think they know that they were not happy uh, with how they played and a little bit with the, you know, officiating of the game, which will happen when you're frustrated about other things. You'll get frustrated about the officiating too. But I mean, that's not a performance a team like this can have, especially given what they've said they want to be.
1: What do you think is, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, their best defensive lineup out there?
0: Yeah, I think uh, Miles, obviously, at the five is in there. Bruce Brown, who they signed this summer, uh, he's in there for sure on the wing. And Aaron Niesmith's defended really well this season. Those three guys have been very consistent on defense all year. Andrew Nembhard's a good defensive player. I think those are the first four I have in of the Pacers. Uh, they can all defend on the perimeter. They're all pretty mobile. They're all smart and understand it. It's hard to know who the last guy should be, right? If you put Niesmith at the four, you could think about a number of guys being there, maybe Ben Matherin, maybe Jareth Walker, although he hasn't been well in his opportunities either. Um, so that's another part where it's hard. Is like they don't necessarily have the perfect fifth guy to – tie together that that defensive five. Right before the season, the talk was that Jarris would be that fifth guy. Maybe he will be by the time the season is over, right? It's only been 12 games of his entire career, and he had some nice moments last night, I think maybe one of his more complete games so far in the league. But Toppin you know, did well against Embiid for a few possessions, to his credit. Uh, same with not number defense at all. Like They are kind of scraping for a full five-man lineup of good defenders, so maybe it's Matherin uh Hal Burton's a good team defender like he reads the game pretty well but on the ball that he gets picked on a lot uh, so it's hard to come up with who their actual best five guys are, just because there's there's still going to be a weak link, probably even in that group.
1: Yeah, it's funny. And Tony East George is talking paces on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I brought this up a little bit earlier because I was asked about this um, earlier on somebody else's show about where's where you know, where the defensively where's the biggest issue, and, and oftentimes everybody looks at points in the paint and then you know kind of talks about that. But I I always start at the point of attack. Because to me, any guarding, granted, we're talking about the NBA where most of these guys can get to wherever they want on the floor with the dribble, especially in the backcourt, at any time, whenever they want, but you see at least some resistance. The Pacers have no resistance against anybody and either whoever has the ball drives all the way and lays it up or you know they do get some interior resistance maybe from Miles, pass it out for a wide open three or drop it down on a pocket pass on the bounce for a dunk or a layup to Miles's man or somebody else that has gotten free on the interior. I think it all starts right there. The point of attack where they have no Nobody that can stay in front of anybody guard-wise in the NBA right now, to me. I agree with you 100%. And I even think,
0: like, the points in the paint number you referenced and the point of attack defense are really related. Because, they're give, like, you just described the play quickly. Like, they either give up a drive and somebody's got a free lane to the rim to score, or Miles has to slide over, and, and he's great at this, to his credit, cut somebody off or, like, deter them from shooting. But that means whoever he was guarding is now open. So someone else has to crack down and get the Turner's guy, but sometimes that rotation doesn't happen or sometimes they're not expecting to need to do it because someone got beat, right? Like, that is where they've had problems so much. And you heard them all summer. When they were talking about getting better on defense, yeah, they changed their scheme. They're trying to prevent different shots now. At times you've seen it go okay, but at times you haven't. But a big part of their scheme being successful was they had to be better one-on-one defenders, right? Getting stops in the perimeter, stopping guys from doing exactly what you just said, easy drives to the basket. They were doing one-on-one drills in training camp, right? They wanted to get better in that way. But that's still definitely their biggest concern is at the point of attack, they can't keep the guy in front or at least make it slow, a slow down drive where you can't have such an easy line drive to the rim. Because if it's slower, guys can react quicker and Miles can understand where his man is and what he needs to do. He can only clean up so much. you see, Miles Turner's impact numbers dip on defense, and it's hardly because he's gotten worse. It's because he has to do so much more with this group and what actually happens around him. So, to me, stopping the ball in the perimeter, which is why the the three perimeter guys I named, Neesmith, Brown, and emhard is a part of their best group. They can actually stay in front of guys and move their feet side to side better than anyone else on this team or slide or whatever phrasing you want to use and that's why they've been so successful but they never had it's hard for them to put together a lineup of all guys who can do that all the time and are credible in the pick and roll and helping out in that way so it's just hard for them to come up and, and get those point of attack stops and the magic specifically have guys who can burn you with the point of attack who are also 6'8, 6'10, right? Yeah. So for a small Pacers team, it was just an absolute nightmare of a defensive matchup, and they got exposed.
1: They, could yeah, they, got, they got dudes that can do it off the bench, too. But <laughs> yeah. I, I just the, the Pacers have nobody to stop it. Here's the other thing that stood out. And I think you were probably in the mix there when Rick Carlisle talked about this. He said defensively in the NBA at this level, when you get caught up in rotations, uh, that is deadly for your defense, and and that was, I think, in terms of, of Buddy Heald and what he brings as a three-point shooter. But we're seeing this more times than not with this Pacer team because it, it only takes one drive and then one pass for these guys to rotationally get completely discombobulated, and it seems like more times than not give up a, store, a score, and that's directly related to what Rick talked about at the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah, being in rotation means, like, by default, you are reacting, right? And you never want to be the reacting part. You want to be causing the other team to react. But if you're rotating, that means you're either coming over to help or you have to be sliding over to stop something else the other team is doing. And that can be fine. Like, if your defense is on a str- – like, the, ma- the Magic are the perfect example. They have the best defense in the NBA. Like, if you're on a string and you rotate well and all together and you're ready for your X out on the weak side, like, that can be fine because then the other team has to react to your rotation. But – the Pacers get in rotation a lot. And then sometimes it's hard to recover from that. Or sometimes you're already exposing a bad shot or you you end up with a mismatch with someone too small and somebody else. So they just, it's just hard. It's hard to do. Like if you're the, if you're rotating all the time, it means you're reacting a lot, which is already not ideal. And when, when you're giving up what they give up and what we already talked about the point of attack stuff and the lack of team defense, then there's just a lot of, a lot of concerns. So yeah, they're in rotation a lot. Buddy Heald is good at causing rotation on both ends, in a good and bad way, for example. So, yeah, they've got to clean up a lot on that end of the floor. And they know it, too. Like, they talk about it all the time. I know they know it. There's a point where it doesn't matter what you say. you got to actually do it. And they haven't done it outside of, you know, a few games, a few quarters
1: yet. Tony East joins us. He covers the Pacers. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I have said this many times. I value Buddy Heald a great deal. Um, however, if Buddy Heald is broke then it's tough for him to be out there because he doesn't do a lot of other things, especially at anything defensively. Uh, we have seen Buddy Broke shooting the basketball here recently. Are we talking about slumping a little bit, or is there something more to that as far as coming off the bench, something he's not quite uh, acclimating to or, or reading into it too much at this point?
0: Uh, I mean, I've said this to – I've mentioned him twice now, but Dustin O'Parrick, like I said this like during his 2-for-12 his game when they were playing Utah at home. I, th- I said, but he can miss 50 in a row, and I still trust him to keep shooting, right? Like, he's, he's proven that he is a good shooter. I think it's a slump. First seven games of the season, he was at 46% from deep in those games. That's great. That's something they want. That is him coming off the bench. I think that's fine. In the six games since then, he's at 23.7% from three. Like, that is just brutal. That's been a big part of their bench, looking a little bit shakier. But the thing is, the volume, like the average shot he's taking per game in those two stretches is exactly the same. And I very rarely think Buddy Heald takes a three that's bad or forced, right? So I, he's usually either open or he can just get it off so fast that it's a threatening shot that forces the defense to adjust. So, of course, he's, he, he'll even admit it. He's not playing well. He's not making shots. That's a big problem when so much of what makes him a great player is that he makes them. But I think he's earned through his career and what he did last year where he you know, it's pretty close to leading the league in threes, that you give him the grace to keep shooting and keep playing. But you're right that for a player like that, who you give up a lot defensively when you have him out there, if he's not making them, that's a big problem, especially for this bench group that really needs him to score.
1: uh, Tony Easter joins us. Um, The ramifications of tomorrow night for the Pacers in Atlanta at 730.
0: Big. First, V, are you an in-season tournament fan? Um, I, I was gonna
1: get. Gi- I was gonna give it some time. Here's what I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of some team around here like consistently winning, so I don't have to rip on their ass all the time, right? And I don't have to talk <laughs> negative. And the Pacers were doing that until yesterday when they really dropped the ball on it for me. Yes. So anything that they can be of value in in terms of winning, I'm for. So yes, I think so far I'm for the NBA's in-season <laughs> tournament, but it remains to be seen. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, we'll see when the, the actual knockout bracket starts what it looks like and how serious teams take it. Um, but yeah, that's what's big. I think it takes one for the Pacers outside of their outside of their record and in the in tournament is like pride <laughs> and embarrassment after a game like that. Like you want to see how they respond, right? Serious practice today. They had to talk about it. They had to work through it. You don't have a lot of time to like sit on a game like that and dive into the film. You've got to look ahead at Atlanta to do your thing. I think it's probably good for them in general, but at the same time, it can't it can't been fun. So how they respond, will be telling. And they're going against an Atlanta team that had three days off, right? So they're going to have to be at their absolute best. And I think we'll learn a lot about the Pacers because when they got blown out in Boston, Halbert didn't play. A lot of stuff went wrong. Like, they kind of shrugged that one off. Boston, like, set their – made the most – they made in, like, 30 years or something. Right. Last night the magic just kicked their butt. There wasn't any historical anomalies going on in the game. So we'll learn a lot about their response to getting embarrassed. And then in season tournament wise, it's a it's a big one. If they win the game, it's simple. They win the group, right? They're off to the like, knockout stage guaranteed. Doesn't matter what happens on Friday when the system which is cool. I think that it being that simple is good for fans because there are some complicated parts of the in season tournament. But winning, you're in is as easy as it gets. Uh it's not the case on Friday that if they win, they're in. Just the head-to-head of this game is, is kind of important to the whole structure. But Rick Carlisle even said it, right? He talked to the team about it. They know what's at stake tomorrow. So a big game for them mentally, a big game for them actually in the in-season tournament, the NBA Cup, whatever you want to call it. And they, they get a fancy blue court in Atlanta. We'll see uh, what it leads to <laughs> from the Pacers
1: on the floor. Well, I will say this. Um, watching that Philly game last Tuesday night was like watching a game in hell. I, I don't. The red courts are the
0: worst ones to me. I think they're it's so it's you can lose the ball sometimes on those.
1: Yeah, it was uh, singeing my retinas, too. That was problematic. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I'm yeah. not like some old fart and go oh, that's a different kind of court. They didn't have this kind of court in 1976. I, I'm not saying that, but the red <laughs> ones it, it is like watching a game in hell. I would imagine.
0: Yeah, the, like I can I don't like too many of them. I can tolerate the blue ones. I can tolerate the purple ones. I, it's hard to watch games on the red ones. Like it's actually problematically challenging to see the ball sometimes. So uh, if, they, if they could go without the red next year, I'd be I'd be more okay with them. Although people keep slipping, man. Like Jalen yeah. Brown hurt his groin. The Pacers were complaining about it. Like they, they gotta get them to be solid courts where the graphics are like safe to run on. I mean, you saw the video of LeBron stomping all over the Lakers floor just to make sure that everywhere he plants his foot, he's not gonna get hurt. It, that's the only concern with them in terms of actual basketball products so far, and that's what makes them a little scary. But the Atlanta one, I don't think I've heard any concerns about so
1: yeah, far. Yeah, and those painted-on pieces, too, when a, a bead of sweat drips off a player, which happens all the time, you step on that, and it's like you step on like the ice rink out outdoors yeah, now yeah. here at Gambridge Fieldhouse. So, yeah, it's like that.
0: You saw in the first quarter where guys were like had just started sweating. Like Andrew Nembhard's first cut of the game, he yep. catches an inbound test, turns, and he boop—he's on the ground with no defensive presence because he slipped on a graphic. Right. So it hasn't happened everywhere. Benefit of the doubt is given; it's something new. But Jalen Brown got a little hurt from it. Like that is actually a problem the NBA has to address. Yeah, no, no, they, no, I, like
1: yeah. yeah I would agree. But like Buddy Heald also busted his busted his rear end on it too.
0: He, he flew out of bounds. He yeah. was really flying on his yeah. He never gets hurt, so I I was not actually concerned. But you could tell he got up and was like, "Dang, you know what happened there." So, yeah, that's certainly I think a concern for the league because so far, to me, the in-season tournament hasn't taken anything away from anything, which is good. But it has. This could be the thing that makes it not good if someone gets seriously injured on
1: these new courts. Final thing: Andrew Nimhart is he going to be active tomorrow wearing jeans on the sideline again?
0: Little progress today, Rick said,
1: but. Uh, TBD.
0: I think we'll get an injury report. They probably land pretty soon at Atlanta, so I'd imagine we get an injury report 4:30, 30 ish. In terms of that, um, they're playing Trey Young, JMV, so they could definitely yeah. use him for a game like that. And the guard defense, I mean, Jalen Suggs ripped him apart, right? He had 18 points and had no resistance. We just talked about point of attack defense. So TBD is the answer. Lower back soreness can suck. Bradley Beal's played in two games all season for the Suns because of it. I'm an- giving you way too much detail for this answer, but uh, the answer is TBD. We'll see.
1: Yeah, I don't think um, – it kind of looked like the Pacers were trying to guard wearing jeans yesterday against Orlando. So.
0: what wearing jeans?
1: Yeah. It's uh, it, it's bad. Hey, Tony, I always appreciate it, man. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night, the rest of the uh, in-season tournament. Hopefully uh, you got some good stuff to ride other than what took place yesterday. We'll do it again soon. Happy Thanksgiving to you, buddy.
0: Yeah, you too. Thank you so
1: much. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, friend of the show from ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, Stephen Holder joins us. Um, I feel compelled to start right here because Real Sports on HBO tomorrow night is going to have a segment going in-depth regarding jim mercy the colts owner andrea kramer is going to do it 10 o'clock on hbo tomorrow night i believe on their streaming services it also begins tomorrow which um the tweet says after years of addiction nearly destroyed him the first in-depth interview with jim mercy detailing his painful journey again that's with andrea kramer hbo's real sports premiering coming up tomorrow uh, did you know that was coming I did not, no, I did not. It's um but you know, he has been
2: increasingly I think public about his struggles. Not this public, yeah. but but he's definitely been, you know, more public since he's done the uh kick the stigma campaign and I, I think all of that really the genesis of it is his own experiences, right? So I mean you know, whereas years ago and you you know this, so years ago it it was kind of an open secret that he had addictions and that he had these issues and these demons, but, but it was not acknowledged, you know? And I think that's what's changed in recent years, which is really coinciding with, with kind of getting past those demons, you know, now there's an acknowledgement and he's talked about it and and has been open about it again, not to this extent, maybe, but, um, but I think that's a good thing. You know, it is a good thing. And I think the, the openness about it is is one of the hardest things uh, about addiction. You know, just everybody has has encountered this in their their family life or whoever. You know, people close to you. We all know what that's like. You know, getting the the acknowledgments. Sometimes the hardest part. You know, so I like that that he has done that uh, increasingly in in recent years. And I'm interested to see what this entails, including that detail in the tweet that he that he did have an overdose that almost killed him.
1: Yeah, and that, that had been something that, you know, obviously, you, you hear a, a lot of rumors, and I saw you tweet about this a little bit earlier, that you, you don't go with because there's nothing that, that comes your way concretely that you can write about, that you can mention. But, uh, you know, this is something that I think some people had, had talked about prior to, rumor-wise, that evidently he uh, talks about and admits in this episode coming up tomorrow night.
2: Yeah, the the rumor was out there. and. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually remember approaching people about it and <laughs> no one really tried to talk me out of it. They just, you know, just wouldn't confirm it. You know what I mean? So, you know, you kind of always in the back of your head had a feeling, well, that probably happened, <laughs> you know? And uh yeah, it, it I'm glad that it, it, it ended positively, certainly. I mean, it was, I, I do know, that had to be certainly very scary, you know. Um, you know, when when you come that close, you know, to to the end, and I, I do know, you know, that that was among many things that kind of really got the attention, or his attention, and, and probably those of the people around him too, you know. So it's all it, it's all moved to to a, a de- definitely a very positive place. It's just. Uh, it was hard getting there, you know. It was just really hard getting there. Unfortunately, now,
1: how many years now have you covered the Colts? Uh, I've been there on on the beach since uh, 2013
2: season. Yeah, yeah so uh, the season number 11, which is crazy. I never thought that. Never thought I'd see that. But yeah,
1: how, how have you seen him evolve with this uh, in mind? I mean, we 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 oh, more times. Uh, certainly talk about him and the guidance of this team uh, from an ownership position. But, you know, as far as his, his, whole, his whole situation, how have you seen that evolve over the time you've been here writing about it?
2: A great question. Cause you know, I remember the first time I, I, I met Jim Irsay. um It was in a group setting. I think it might've been, uh, I, I might've been here in uh, maybe like a little less than a year at that point. And I think it might have been the first game that, uh, that Peyton came back with the Broncos, if you remember. And they opened the roof that night and all that. So that, that week, you know, he had, been, he had talked about the Star Wars and all that, if you recall. Uh, yep. made some some headlines that the week.
1: star wars numbers of the yeah. uh the regime, uh, the whole era before which yeah. He,
2: cu- yeah he talked about them kind of disparagingly which made some headlines if you yeah. recall so anyway so that interview i remember he came in we talked in the indoor facility that day and i just remember how frail he was and just now granted right now he's going through some health issues right now he's had some I think you know, had a hip done and you know all kinds of things. So you might see him now, he doesn't look maybe like he's in great shape, but physically in his in his face and just his his facial um, his facial features, you can see the difference then versus now. Just he looks so much healthier. I mean, look I'm no doctor and I don't and I can't tell you, you know. What did that to him? I mean, I think we do know what did it. But, I mean, I, I don't know what he was – what he might have been using at the time or what have you. I, I don't know. All I can tell you is he looked like someone who was not well. He just did. And and now, setting aside, you know, the surgeries that he's had to have and all that, which is a separate matter, um, he just, he's just more vibrant. He looks like a different person you know, facially. Um, you know, he's, he's just more alive, frankly. And so it's a, it's a really good thing. It it goes to show you just, you know, the, the depths that addiction can take you to, to be completely honest. And, you know, so again, going back to my early days here, I think my second season or just after my first season covering the Colts is when he is when Jamarissa got the DUI. So, I mean, (laughs) All of that was my introduction to this, and I'm like, "Wow, what in the world, man? This is crazy!" You know, uh, I was not really aware of the depth of the issues, you know. So I was learning all of this on the fly, and it was a lot, man. Uh, so anyway, yeah, <laughs> a lot has happened, and a lot's changed for the better, thank goodness.
1: So Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com, on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. I don't know if this is going to be covered in it. I guess we'll we'll watch and then find out and talk about it here next Monday, um, if it is. I, I, I've often mentioned this, and nobody's told me this. This is just my opinion. With a variety of topics that pertain to the NFL, it has seemed to me like over the past year plus he's really taken a step to be one of those lead voices like a, you know, Jerry Jones type of lead voice among the NFL owners. We've talked about this a little bit, but certainly mm-hmm. not recently. Do you believe that as well? Is, is that what we see? Does he just want to be heard or is it like what I suggest is he wants to be a lead voice among the hierarchy of the NFL ownership?
2: I agree with you as opposed to the people who think he's just kind of blabbering. Um, you know yes does he does he talk uh a lot and and maybe even at times when he shouldn't, yeah, of course, but i but I don't think the intent is is necessarily in the wrong place um it is exactly what you said, at least from my perception, I think Jim Merce sees himself as a caretaker or among you know the caretakers of the n f l you know he talks a lot about the older guard of ownership, you know the Lamar hunts of the world and, and so forth. And to him, you know, that, that group holds a very special place to him because, you know, they are the forefathers of of what we have today uh, as an NFL league. And it's very important to him from my conversations and and observations to, to continue um, the legacy that they started. So that's, that's how he looks at it. You know, he thinks it's a pretty big responsibility and, I remember talking to him at times throughout the, uh, the the recent Washington sale, you know, just kind of getting some of those details to contribute to some of our ESPN stories. He's on the, the finance committee, which basically vets buyers of, of new teams. That's a very big responsibility. and And he was, like, deep into that process. Like, I mean, knee deep. He could talk about the financials. He could talk about, you know, the – um, all, the, all the different uh, debt limits and all this other stuff that, that I'm not even qualified to talk about. <laughs> he knew it backwards and forwards, and it's because he takes that role very seriously. And so that is, I think you are exactly right. It is about being a caretaker of the league and, and continuing to keep the league in high esteem. Uh, and he thinks that's a big part of his job.
1: It's uh, Stephen Holder who joins us. All right, coming off of bye week. And again, that HBO Real Sports episode tomorrow night at 10 o'clock it premieres on HBO. and Then you can catch it on the uh, streaming service uh, as well regarding uh, Jim Merce and that conversation with Andrea Kramer we've been talking about. So off of bye week, now in preparation for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 5-5. Five and five. What in the world is going on with Jelani Woods here?
2: <laughs> so – The latest is today, Shane Steichen said that uh, Jelani had a setback with his other hamstring. He's been bothered by this hamstring injury since training camp or since the preseason, as you probably know. And we haven't gotten any specific updates. I mean, clearly it's a very serious injury at this point. But anyhow, we were told he was getting closer in in recent weeks, and now uh, Shane Steichen revealed that Jelani had a, a setback with the other hamstring. I'm not, ex- I'm not sure how that happened, but it's something during his rehab he said. Uh, he didn't get into details. Uh, look, you know, when, you, when you have an injury, sometimes you know, on one half you're, you compensate on the other half. You know? So I don't know. Maybe there was just a, an imbalance going on there. And I don't, he did not say – well, let me rephrase that. He was asked, Shane Steichen was asked, whether this means he'll miss the season. he said that he couldn't answer that just yet as if he he did not know that answer yet. Uh, I would argue that we got seven weeks to go and and that he has already missed 10 weeks. (laughs) So um, I wouldn't be particularly optimistic at this point. It's a bummer too, because I thought that this could be a big year for Jelani Woods. You know, I thought him and, and guys like him, guys like Bernard Raymond, you know, that second, third year player that, that's a big window for you to to have uh, development, you know, in your career, and you know the the inability to 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 have that that year two at least to this point, you know, for Jelani Woods, I think is a huge setback because, you know, even though he didn't have big numbers last year, I thought the the potential was clear. You know, he's he's a potential game breaker on a team that doesn't have a lot of game breakers. You know, so I think, you know, the upside for him is huge. But, uh, you know, it's he's going to be starting over at this point, you know, whenever he gets back on the
1: field. Yeah, it's just uh, – it, it is weird. I mean, you hear a lot of stuff in the – like, I, I've said this to you before. I was told, like, two different things. One was, you know, maybe he didn't take things – Condition-wise, as seriously as the Colts would have liked, and then others suggested that he went with his own and a different routine to try to to up his his health and his shape. But uh, it seems like everything kind of came unwound in the offseason and end of the season for him.
2: Yeah, I, I I don't know which I don't know what is the 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 answer or what what's the you know the, the actual official version. But all I can say is that, uh, you know, I know there were high hopes for him. And there were, I thought, rightfully high hopes. And, you know, it's a bummer because, again, they need guys with some juice on this offense, you know. And, you know, granted, the quarterback, you know, maybe isn't playing aggressively right now, and that's its own issue. I get all that. But, uh, you know, but, but they don't have enough game breakers, as I said. Uh, He's one of the few. And and I think this was an opportunity to see this year. I saw it as an opportunity to see whether he could really be that. And now, I I think at this point, we're probably or potentially – uh, not going to find that out this year, and and that's unfortunate.
1: Uh, Stephen Holder from ESPN's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I saw where Chris Ballard he normally does that State of the Union thing uh, with Colts.com or, or the radio yeah. network or or whatever um, during this time of year during the bye week, and and he did it with uh, both Lara and, and JJ. Around this time last week, which is which is okay, they didn't get to the subject of Shaquille Leonard, so that kind of forces us to, to come from um, our own opinion kind of angle here. Would he answer any questions you think lobbed at him right now with that availability regarding the future of Shaquille Leonard, and then also what he thinks about his linebacker in the present?
2: Uh, he he probably wouldn't answer it with any specificity <laughs> just because, you know, there's just not a lot to be gained in doing that. Um, and, you know, the season is ongoing. And, and those decisions, this is what they, they tend to fall back on uh, in these situations. And I don't mean just the Colts. I mean every team. You know, they tend to fall back on the fact that they don't have to make any decisions right now. And they don't. So I, I get it. I would probably do the same thing. But that does not mean there's there's not an acknowledgement that that this is a, a thorny situation, and it is. Um, I reached out to people in the past week, you know, just for their thoughts about it, and you know, privately. And, and what I got was, you know, let's just let's just let things simmer down, and, and hopefully we can you know figure out a way to move forward and, and finish the season on a positive note. So they're they're in the present, you know, um, which you know you would expect, but. I would say this uh, it didn't help Shaq. that, you know, that he, he raised the issue a second time, you know, two weeks in a row. He's he's usually, he usually talks to the media on Thursdays. So maybe three weeks ago, he, he first made reference to to these feelings that he had about, you know, being unhappy with his playing time, et cetera. Uh, the following week he was asked whether um, wh- whether he felt any differently and in fact, he had played less the previous game. So he actually doubled down on those feelings. Now, what I was going to say is that it, it did not help him, in my view, that after saying it a second time, uh, he had a performance that was a step back for him uh, in, uh, in, in Germany. You know? And so that's just uh, – you know, that wasn't good timing for him. And, and it, at the end of the day, you know, football is a meritocracy – it really is, and it should be. And so I think they're going to have to ask themselves some questions about you know, whether they want to adjust the playing time further. I, I don't know. We'll see.
1: I mean, in adjusting that playing time, we're not talking about in terms of increasing it, right? No, I mean the other way. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, yeah I mean the other the, way. The, 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 so yeah. sitting here right now, the only logical conclusion in following this team that you could come up with is we're watching the final days of Shaquille Leonard in a Colts uniform, aren't we?
2: I mean you, you we can't ignore it that that it's it's a possibility. Now again, seven games is a long time. A lot could change. We'll see. Um but I but I will tell you I I laid this out in a previous story that I wrote about this topic uh, the the Colts have a track record at linebacker of of finding very replacements in house. You know, and this is not about Shaq. This is just in general. They've done that, you know, and it's the reason Anthony Walker is no longer here. It's the reason Bobby Okereke is no longer here. You know they they were able to make those personnel decisions. In those cases, those guys were free agents, and you know they went on to greener pastures. But there wasn't any momentum to bring them back because the Colts had had replacements in house. And so, if you if you take that precedent and and move forward with that precedent. Um, you, you know, you have, you have to kind of apply that here, potentially. You know, there's, it's really not that different and not that hard to envision uh, that, that, you know, something along those lines could happen.
1: So Stephen Older who is with us five and five right now. What's your expectation? The one thing about it is there's I think there's way too much to jump over to me to reasonably consider, you know, them playing themselves into the the playoff picture. However it is worth noting that these games are winnable moving forward for them and with the wackiness that the NFL season, you know, brings, Joe Burrow, Cincinnati obviously on the schedule coming up here too, and a winnable schedule I I hate this because it is clearly it's one of those cliches that often is used to uh, to describe game after game, week after week in an NFL season. But it is I mean, it is simply week to week with this group to see where you are because they have remained interesting and to continue to do that, to see where you are coming up around mid-December.
2: Look, this team is just impossible to pin down, okay? So <laughs> it is what it is. So what do I mean by that? Like, go back, I don't know, maybe go back a month, and they were scoring like nobody's business, right? <laughs> Granted, there were turnovers and, and all that. That's true. But, you know, they were, and, and they were putting up all kinds of offensive numbers. Now, the last two games before the bye, all of a sudden, they can't score at all. So, and that the defense picked them up and, and was able to carry them to two wins. Whereas the same defense prior to that was, was kind of struggling, you know? So this team, it's almost like they don't really have an identity. And I'm not saying this in a negative way. I'm just saying it's almost a compliment, frankly, they, despite being this weird collection of 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 players that, that can't figure out who they are or what they are, they keep winning. And so I don't know, man. I don't know what to make of it. All I would tell you is that they actually face a handful of teams that look a lot like them. Teams where I look at them and say, I don't know what their identity is either.
1: That's what the people are saying that cover those teams about the Colts. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. Can they win those games? Yeah. They'll probably be favored in actually a handful of these, you know? So we'll see, man. I mean, you know, but I, I don't know. We'll see how. You know, what are the Falcons? What, what are the what are the Falcons? We look at the Falcons right now. Just you know, just looking at the schedule I'm just picking the team out of the hat. Look at the Atlanta Falcons. What about that team keeps you up at night, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that's the problem. But you would say the same about the Colts. I understand that. All I'm saying is, if you play a clean game and you execute. You can win the game. I mean, there's no reason you can't win the game. And I feel the same about the Steelers. The Steelers are overachieving even more than the Colts this year. But again, they're a team right now. That they they don't have a lot of firepower either, man. So I mean, it's just it's tough. The AFC is just a bland, <laughs> just <laughs> a bland baked potato right now. Like man, nobody. You got a couple spicy teams, and then you got a
1: bunch of bland baked potatoes. Anybody out there need a bye week more than Gardner Minshew needed a bye week?
2: No, I don't I don't think so, man. I, I really do think that there is a mental strain uh to to kind of you know, the season that he's been through in, in general, frankly, there's there's a mental strain to that. He's in and out of the lineup initially, which, you know, has its own challenges, you know, because Richardson was was in and out. So he was kind of bouncing around and, and pr- playing without practicing in some cases, all that. Right. So uh, that was tough. And then, you know, toward the end of this stretch, well, actually go back, you know, to the, the stretch where he had all the turnovers and, you know, he's getting blamed for the losses. And then these last couple of games, you know, they played a style where it was like, all right, Gardner, just don't screw it up. And he didn't to his credit. Now he also didn't score a lot of points, but um, it didn't take a lot, thankfully. So I don't know. I agree with you. I think that it's been a it's been a roller coaster for Gardner Minshew. It really has. And you know, I, I think to be fair to him, um, th- them being five and five, you know, some of it is in spite of him, but some of it's also because of him too. You know, so you know, we should be fair to him. I, I think you know, and I I've been critical of his play too, but I mean, come on, like there there are games where if he doesn't make a throw late in the game, you know, they don't win, you know? So I, I think he gets credit for that.
1: Do you think they can develop any sort of passing game that's even like borderline mm-hmm. consistent here in the final stretch of the season? Because to me, that that's going to be the biggest difference between them being really interesting down the stretch or simply fading away down that stretch.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the answer is the, the, the question isn't can they. The, the question is, or the reality is that they have to. They absolutely have to. Um, They'll answer the question, will they or won't they? But if they don't, I don't think that this is going to end well. Uh, Because you're you're not going to win a lot of 10 to 6 games as they did in Germany. That's just not going to happen. Now, it's happening a little too much nowadays (laughs) with some of these teams. But generally speaking, you're not going to win a lot of 10 to 6 games. Just not. So... I mean, even Tampa Bay, for example, coming up, I I don't know what their numbers are off the top of my head, but I mean, they have proven that they can score points at times this year, you know, so you're going to have to bring it. I mean, they're, they're struggling a little bit, but I mean, look, you're going to have to bring it. I mean, somebody's going to have to go check Mike Evans. Somebody's going to have to go out there and, and handle, you know, those receivers. Right. So, I mean, you're going to have to score if you're going to, Make this thing interesting, as you said. So it's not—it's not like can they overcome the lack of offense? No, they have to have offense. I think that they're gonna—if they're going to end this thing on a positive note.
1: you you got It's Stephen Holder, right there of ESPN, ESPN.com, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group line and then back to football with Tampa in town. That is coming up on Sunday. I'll see you up the press box on Sunday. A little preparation for uh, what takes place here down the stretch of the season. I appreciate you. All right, you got it. See. Stephen Holder on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Hotline.